Hey everybody! Welcome to Data Brunch with ICPSR. If you love data, this is going to be food for thought. I'm Dory. And I'm Anna. We're recording these episodes live from our remote offices, so please excuse anything you hear in the background like uh, canine colleagues, kids in class, and other unexpected moments. I'm laughing because just before we started recording, uh, one of our alarms went off and there was, you know, our dogs are joining us for the podcast. So you never know what might happen on Data Brunch. Um, but Dory, did you know that it is Endangered Species Day on Friday? You know what? I did know that was coming up, Anna. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I um I was looking at, you. well, you know how we do. We always look to see what data we have when there's one of these national days. Um, and I thought that our listeners might be interested in, there's a study that's called Trends in Illegal Wildlife Trade um, that's available at ICPSR. And there's also some really interesting questions that you can look into the data for. Um, one of those questions is about cloning as a way to help preserve endangered species. And it's really interesting to see the way that the survey participants responded to that. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then I also found um, there's a, a study called United States Congressional Roll Call Voting Records. And there's a section in there regarding, and I'm going to quote here, trophy hunting or the international commercial trade in elephant ivory, elephant hides, or rhinoceros horns, and elephants and rhinoceroses are both rhinoceri, rhinoceroses? The groups of those. What? That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) No, we have access to all these data, and I don't know the answer to this. Um, Maybe our listeners can write in and tell us. Um, But in any case, uh, you can see how your elected representatives might have voted on things like that. So I think that that's a really cool use of data. Yeah, as we were looking at the list, um, it used to be that the Florida manatee was my favorite endangered species, Um, but then uh, the manatee was moved off, I believe, a few years ago, even though they're still protected. Uh, So now my another one that's near and dear to my heart is the sea turtle. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that the manatees are moved off, and I'm glad to hear that they're still protected, even if they are moved off that, but... Boy, that's so sad. The sea turtles, they don't deserve that from us. Yeah. Special creatures. Yeah, totally special creatures. All right. So in other current events, um, speaking of special creatures, uh, this one is close to my heart because it's about kids. Um, So this is a new article, um, and this is about kids who don't have enough food. So the article is called Exploring the Dynamics of Racial Food Security Gaps in the United States. Um, And the article uses data from the Child and Family Data Archive, and it looks at kids as young as kindergartners. Um, And in some of their findings, they report, and I'm going to quote here, that Hispanic and non-Hispanic white households with children are equally mobile in the long run, whereas non-Hispanic black households with children tend to be less upwardly mobile in in food security status and more downwardly mobile in that status over time. So what that means is that white families and Hispanic families are equally able to gain better access to food over time but that Black families, non-Hispanic Black families with kids often have worse access to food over time. And 
If you care about food stability, I would encourage you to read this article and to learn more about these data. We'll link to these in the show notes, but this is important work and this can make a difference in someone's life. So if this is something that you care about, uh, please do take a look. And in other new and updated data, there are tons of new data available. Um, There always are. And if you're looking for data for your papers as you wrap up the year, we have some great stuff for you. So there is a new update to what is affectionately called the LA Fan Study. And I love this one personally because I am from Los Angeles and I love LA. And the LA Fan Study, it looks at adults and children in neighborhoods in Los Angeles County. And these are the the new data is follow-up interviews with a thousand randomly selected respondents from the previous version of this study. And it's part of a broader project, which is called the Mixed Income Project. And it's about mixed income housing in Los Angeles. Um, there's another version of this study in Chicago as well. Um, and it's, it's pretty good, cool to see this. We saw that someone at Harvard has already used this study as part of their 2020 dissertation. So very cool to see these data being used and hopefully lives being changed as part of that. And another updated study is the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor. And the update was to the adult population survey um, data set from 1998 to 2017. And respondents were asked about entrepreneurship in general and startup activities and ownership, um, management of the new business, angel investors, all kinds of things that might be interesting to people who are looking at um, entrepreneurship in, in a variety of different ways. So there are, uh, there are some really interesting articles that are written with these data too. For example, there's a paper called, Does Legal Registration Help or Hurt the Effect of Government Corruption on Resource Acquisition by Nation Ventures in an Emerging Economy? Um, some fascinating stuff in there. And you can see these data and the publications through the links in our show notes. And now, Dory, I'm going to turn this over to you. Okay, hello everyone, and welcome back to ICPSR's Data Brunch. Today we are so excited to have members of the project team for College and Beyond 2, Outcomes of a Liberal Arts Education. College and Beyond 2 is an initiative led by a team of researchers from ICPSR and uh, at the University of Michigan, and is supported by a grant from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. And so we are going to hear from the team in just a little bit, but I wanted to go ahead and introduce them. Today, we have three guests. We have Susan Jekulek, who is Associate Research Scientist at ICPSR and Director of our Education and Early Childhood Projects. We have Kevin Stang, an Associate Professor of Public Policy at the Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy here at the University of Michigan. And then we have Jenny Brady, a liberal arts research area specialist senior here at ICPSR. Welcome. Sure, thanks Dory, and thanks so much for having us. At Data Brunch, we love to see the stories behind the data. So, to the project team, can you give us an overview of College and Beyond too? 
And I'm going to point that to you, Kevin. We are, we've been working on this project for a, a bit of time now, and so we're excited that it's actually starting to come to fruition. We're excited to share that with you all. Um, so this, this project is really interested in high quality undergraduate education and students' experiences in college. And um, broadly, and the, the liberal arts education is a lens through which we're approaching that. Um, the aim is to improve the quality of undergraduate education. Uh, it's a major goal of this project, but also to create a, a data set that will, will facilitate all sorts of social science research by um, scholars uh, in many disciplines throughout uh, the country. Thank you so much, Kevin. So my next question is going to be for Jenny. How do you define liberal arts education? Great. That is a fantastic question, in part because it's one that a lot of people have, and that's whether they're students or parents or faculty or researchers like us, listeners to your podcast, I am certain. Um, and so for a long time, a liberal arts education has been understood to be what students get at a liberal arts college. And that's whether it's at Amherst or Williams or at a unit like the College of Literature, Science and the Arts here at UM. It's a residential education. There are lots of co-curricular and extracurricular activities on offer. Academically, there are small classes. There are lots of opportunities to interact with faculty. And they're studying certain kinds of what we might think of as traditional academic subjects. So this definition would suggest that liberal arts is an attribute of institutions. But liberal arts education can also be defined through those subjects that people study, right, through curriculum. And the important pieces here are that a liberal arts education is broadly understood to not be vocational or professional. So not to be an engineering degree or not to be an accounting degree, many would argue. Uh, and it's broad. So there's a range of disciplines and subjects, and then it's a particular depth of knowledge in a single area, like a major. Um, and in terms of range of disciplines, I should add that liberal arts uh, is shorthand for liberal arts and sciences. So it's not just humanities and the arts, it's also the social and natural sciences, right? So a chemistry degree would be a liberal arts degree by this definition. Thank you. And, and so I just took away from that many things, but uh, chemistry is part of liberal arts. So <laughs> thank you for that great, great overview. Okay, so can, you, can we talk about what makes this College and Beyond 2 project such a great story? Because I know it is. Uh, I've been following it since it started. And so just um, tell us a little bit about the story behind the project. So everybody will have a different answer to this, but what, what's been so exciting for me about this project is all of the, all of the things that, that Jenny just described, all the attributes of a liberal arts education, all the um, outcomes of a liberal arts education. These are, are multifaceted, they're complex, they're really slippery, they're hard to measure. And so one, one of the things that's been really exciting about this project is the opportunity to collaborate with folks in many different disciplines, um, coming from many different, uh, with many different uh, subject expertise, uh, a diverse set of subject expertise. I'm an economist by training, uh, but on this project, I regularly are in interacting with social psychologists and humanists and writing experts and education scholars and uh, political scientists. So all of that expertise is sort of coming together to think about how do we measure some of these 
outcomes that Jenny described. Um, how do we measure some of the experiences that students are having and whether or not that's a liberal arts education or not? Um, so I think one of the one of the exciting stories here is just about uh, you know life is 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 multifaceted and multidimensional, and uh, we hope education is the same. And so in order to really study it, you really need to bring people from all those different areas together to kind of uh, 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 think about how best to measure some of these concepts. And that's what's been exciting to me about this project is is sort of bringing together these different perspectives. Thank you, Kevin. Next question is for Susan. Do you mind talking to us about what makes this project unique? Sure, Dory. Well, first, we all know that on average, college graduates fare better economically than non-graduates. Our project takes us a few steps further by asking about and examining what it is about a college experience that produces lasting outcomes. We include a variety of non-economic outcomes. I think both um, Kevin and Jenny gave a little bit of insight into our broad thinking about um, outcomes that we were trying to examine in this study. Second, we see this project as contributing resources to the field in a few ways. We'll, we, as, as um, Kevin mentioned, we'll be sharing our de-identified survey and administrative data for other researchers to analyze. This will allow new analyses and maybe even competing hypotheses to be examined. The data themselves are unique in that higher education administrative data for research use is hard to come by. Also, the ability to link student administrative data that it was collected simultaneously as a student was in school and linking it, being able to link it to long-term outcome, outcomes is also unique. Let's talk about some potential uses for the data. What do you think students and parents or anyone else that you might imagine using these data from this project, what do you think they'll be able to do with the research that comes from college and beyond too? This is where I think the, the range of uh, experts and, and researchers that we've had involved already uh, comes into play because everybody's gonna have uh, a, a different type of question that is particularly important and salient in their discipline to answer and, and we hope to be able to. Um, so in my discipline in economics and particularly in the study of labor economics, labor markets and earnings and inequality, adaptability comes up. The, the, the notion that we that higher education be, should be equipping students uh, to, when they enter the world and, and particularly in the labor market, to be able to navigate uh, technological change, changes in um, the labor market, um, help them navigate the great you know, recessions and the economics ups and downs. Um, this is something, and that you can acquire that by having a, acquiring a broad set of skills uh, that could be applicable in many different types of jobs. Um, there is indirect evidence for that, uh, but no one has been able to kind of measure the thing that they say is the critical attribute um, underpinning that, namely career adaptability. And so uh, that's one study that I'm excited about sort of working on, or we've already started to, uh, to kind of measure how career adaptability is related to students' experiences in college, uh, what courses they take, uh, even within kind of what major. So you might have some majors that students still take a, a fairly broad set of courses and other majors where they still take, where they take a very narrow set of courses. Um, those are the kinds of things uh, that I'm excited about. But I know, uh, Susan, if you want to uh, mention another one that's not in the economics realm or Jenny. Um, 
I think one thing that is interesting is that we have this really rich administrative data along with the um, the survey data that we have, which is also rich. And I think, you know, we have a lot of ideas of how data that's already collected in a systematic way that many institutions have could be used to describe um, a part of a student's experience. And so I know our team has some ideas, but I, I think that there are plenty of ideas for others to um, use this administrative data um, that may, they may that other institutions may already have collected um, to to learn to, without collecting even new data to learn a little bit about the experiences of their students in their institutions. I might just hop on um, to add that there are so many long-term outcomes that we're interested in in this project, right? The kind of economic outcomes uh, that Kevin has outlined. We also have measures of cognitive and non-cognitive skill use, measures of civic engagement and political participation, also health and psychological well-being, right? I mean, the rhetorical argument for liberal arts education has long been something along the lines of it prepares you for the life well lived, right? Um, so that you can have a meaningful career and also have things in your life besides that and, you know, weather hard times and find joy in those times. I think something we've all been thinking about for this past year. And I think um, the potential to be able to tie those outcomes outcomes to specific experiences from college can tell us a lot about what experiences we want to invest in and what experiences we want to make accessible to a broad range of students, right? Um, and so the potential of this project and the data set to make it available to all of these researchers that are out in the world to ask these questions and to have the data to answer them, um, it's, it's a really rich data set. So it's going to be exciting to see everything that comes from it. Okay, let's hear a short sound clip from the Liberal Arts and Life Colloquium series from Dr. Earl Lewis, who's director of the Center for Social Solutions here at the University of Michigan and president emeritus of the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. And in part, I think the challenge for us as we look to the future and talk about being robot ready and robot proof is to make sure and understand that the students that we're educating now and preparing for their roles in society, those students will not just change careers, but will change a full jobs eight or 10 times based on most projections. What we need is not to make sure they have so much a certain kind of domain knowledge, is the ability to figure out what questions do they ask? How do I actually puzzle over those questions? How do I actually continue to explore them over a period of time? and how to tell the good from the bad, the junk from what is valuable. Wow, that is really timely, <laughs> uh, especially in, uh, in the time period that we're in right now. So let's talk about how we brought visibility to this project. Sure. Um, so we just concluded a year-long public colloquium series uh, called The Rural Arts in Life, as you said, Dory, uh, in which we were bringing together researchers uh, and academic leaders and just a wide variety of folks who are invested in liberal arts education to think about what we know and we what we want to know about liberal arts education and specifically how data and measurement can help to provide those answers. And we were really trying through the series to think through some big questions about liberal arts education, about what it is and how we know it when we see it, how we measure it, how we can make the case for it. And I think 
uh, what uh, Earl Lewis was just talking through there is really showing us the necessity of it, but also how um, sometimes the skills can come across as kind of amorphous, even as they come across as really essential, right? How do you figure out the good and the bad, the junk and what's valuable? Um, how do we teach students to do that? And how do we measure whether we did our jobs at doing that? So back to uh, what we talked about a little bit earlier about any insights that you might have into how the COVID pandemic may have affected a liberal arts education. I, I think that, that the last 16 months has really underscored the importance of having a, a broad understanding of how the world works. Because now everybody out there uh, on some level needs a really basic understanding of biology, um, economic policy, political phenomenon, um, sociology, and, and you know, social processes uh, to understand kind of the racial justice uh, upheaval that we've seen. So there is a lot going on in the world that really requires an understanding of, of many, um, many disciplines, many way, different ways of thinking, um, basic statistics to understand risk. Um, uh, so I think that, the, I mean, I, I, would, I would say that, you know, now, the, if anything, this, the pandemic has really sort of underscored to me the importance of having uh, understanding in a broad set of areas for the general population, not just experts, because a lot of the decisions we're making in the pandemic are really um, personal, right? And people have to understand them themselves and don't really, or certainly don't uh, appear to just follow what the experts say. So that to me is another way that um, that COVID has really affected, uh, I think, and underscore the importance of a liberal arts education. Thank you. Okay, so this next question, really, really heavy. If the College and Beyond 2 team had to make a meal together, what would it be? Like thinking about us making a meal together um, because we have only seen each other through our screens for so long. Uh, I don't know what we would make. I can make pretty good scrambled eggs. So that would be my contribution to the College and Beyond to team brunch, maybe. I don't know. Kevin and Susan, what would you make? We would provide a buffet. I think we've talked about a buffet many times throughout this, the course of this project and the different kinds of outcomes that we want to select from. So there would be a broad buffet. I would agree with that. Depending on the time of day, maybe uh, uh, you know, maybe I'll add some cocktails to it. Maybe not for brunch. Cocktails are perfectly fine for brunch. <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay, I had one more special request. Um, ICPSR staff has been known to have a karaoke session or two. So, what is your favorite karaoke song? I will survive. I was thinking the same thing, Susan. <laughs> That's a good one. Purple Rain, high up on my list. About the Devil Went Down to Georgia. If somebody can sing that well, I want to be in that karaoke audience. I will say that I have never sung karaoke in part because I have a sister who's older than me who has a fantastic voice. So I've always been a great audience uh, for her vocal talents. For me, I can't. I have very incredibly narrow range. The only song that I can possibly... Like, like the only two songs I can ever uh, uh, that I could ever sing that sounds anything like the original are um, 
a song called uh, Calling Baton Rouge by Garth Brooks. I'm not even a huge country fan. I just happen to know that song. And, um, and, uh, and Pretty Women by Roy Orbison. Like the voice, just uh, I can, that's the only thing that I could come close to. How can listeners find out more about this or contact you? We have a webpage at the ICPSR website. You can go to icpsr.umich.edu and search for the College and Beyond 2 project. I honestly just Google College and Beyond 2 and usually it, it comes right up. And you can get more information about the project, what's going on, what will be going on with the project, and also how to contact us. Well, thank you so much to the College and Beyond 2 team. And we're just looking forward to seeing all of your research and all of the data that comes out of this project. Thank you. Thanks for the great opportunity. And thank you so much, Dory and Anna and Scott. Thank you. That was so cool. Um, as someone who has a liberal arts education myself, it is fascinating to hear about how um, how you know this is being measured. And um, boy, that's really cool. I can't wait to to dig some more into those data. Um, so a few upcoming events, and as always, if you're listening to this episode at a later date, you can always visit icpsr.umich.edu to see our current job listings and our upcoming events. Um, and we are hiring again. We are growing like wild. It's fantastic. Um, so we are hiring a few positions. Those include a digital project, uh, excuse me, a digital product designer, a full stack software engineer, as well as a senior full stack software engineer and a supervisor. Um, we're hiring a senior DevOps engineer, a paralegal or a legal assistant, an IT desktop support specialist, and a statistician. So we're going to be growing by leaps and bounds. I know it's really fantastic. Um, and you can find the links to all of those um, in our show notes. And then I also wanted to say our summer program has started, and it has been such a joy to see all of our scholarship winners um, who are sharing their good news on social media. So that's been really, really fun. And please keep those coming because that, that just makes our day when we see those. Um, and then finally, please join us on June 1st and 2nd, 2021, for a two-day celebration of a new book that's called The Influences of the IEA Civic and Citizenship Education Series, Practice, Policy, and Research Across Countries and Regions. And the IEA here is the International Association for the Evaluation of Educational Achievement. And the data series is called the Civic Studies Series. And you can find out more about this awesome new book and the workshop on our website. Thank you, Anna. Wow. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you for being with us. And in our next episode, we get to talk to Dr. Debbie Carr, who talks to us about stress and COVID and more. And it is just a fascinating conversation. So I hope you join us for that. Yes, that will be a treat. And if you aren't already, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you, as always, to the ICPSR membership. This podcast would not be possible without the ICPSR members. Yes, thank you, ICPSR members. And everyone, you want to make sure you know you can get in touch with us by visiting our website, icpsr.com 
www.umich.edu or emailing us at icpsr-podcast at umich.edu. And we love hearing from you. So please do get in touch with us. It is such a treat for us to get to hear what you're interested in and how you've used these data. So please do send us a note. Um, And with that, I am Anna. And I'm Dory. And thanks for joining us at ICPSR's Data Brunch.